You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, July 1st, 2020. Later in the program, I talk to the executive director of the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater and the owner of the Comedy Attic about how COVID-19 has impacted their local venues. Also coming up in the next half hour, Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment. In today's segment, Richard Fish shares a couple of heartening stories about scammers who ran out of luck. But first, your local headlines. The Monroe County Council held a special meeting to discuss community concerns and law enforcement resourcing on June 30th. The County Council brought in a community mediator, Latasha Williams, to facilitate the meeting. She said the meeting was a beginning for change against racial injustice. With a history um, of centuries of uh, systemic oppression and um, racial injustice, um, that type of work, the systems that we operate in, um, have been built over time and um, over several years. And so one thing we want to note is that tonight's conversation is just one point, one small checkpoint, one starting point. Um, to basically begin having the conversation about how things may change or be enhanced in the future. Williams started the discussion with reallocation of police budgeting to social services. Community member Macklin said they work in teenage social services. They said police involvement in a social case never turned out well and escalated the situation. However, community member Dave Owen said the current funding for the sheriff's department given the services they provide, is not sufficient. Resident Sarah Erickson said the police are not properly trained. And we are putting money into law enforcement. Those police, the the sheriff or BPD, are not trained to respond to somebody overdosing or somebody that is experiencing an overdose and is only a danger to themselves. We have seen time and time again that sheriffs, police, anything like that, They are the absolute worst possible person because they don't have any professional training or education to deal with people that are more harm to themselves than to others. And they merely escalate situations. And so I do think this is about anti-law enforcement. I think this is an opportunity for the county commission to recognize their fiscal responsibility and listen to the citizens that they serve who say they don't, don't want more sheriffs, more law enforcement to be in their town. Resident Kell said reallocation should start with refusing the sheriff's request for two deputy hires. Community member Ellen Wu said she wants transparency of Sheriff Decoff's involvement with the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And I thought it might also be useful to um, have a serious uh, discussion that I know would take longer than this meeting about the sheriff's, I, I consider failures. And specifically, I'm thinking of um, the Monroe County Sheriff's cooperation with ICE holds, that is the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. He's doing this voluntarily and he has refused to provide um, concrete data on on his his cooperation with ICE authorities. So I would really 
um, like us to consider that specific practice as part of a larger um, interrogation of, of um, the sheriff's um, policies and actions. Community member Eli Parker said enforcement should share a public database of information. He requested to see complaints according to officer badge numbers. Resident Kate Blake said any current or incoming officers should be searched for white supremacist affiliations. Kel said police officers with body cameras are not always reliable. The only way that I personally have seen the body camera footage come up was actually to prosecute a protester for picking up a body camera that they didn't even know what it was on the ground, and then they were charged with trumped up charges. I haven't personally heard of body cameras being used in what I would view as a positive way locally and very rarely nationally. We like we talk a lot about um, the need for cameras and video footage of police harming people, particularly Black people, and how powerful that's been. Almost every time that's been bystander footage. And in particular, the case of Elijah McClain recently, or I shouldn't, I, I hate to say the word case, the murder of Elijah McClain by the police. On those, if you listen to those, you can't watch the videos because if you listen to them, you can very clearly hear one of the officers instruct the other officer to turn their camera away from what was actually happening. This has happened countless times. Somehow when police violence happens, no one's cameras are on and it's just this big mysterious thing. They just turned off. The very few times when it has been used, like for example, with racist commentary by cops, I forget where that was. The cameras actually turned on accidentally at a time when they were not intended to be on. Community resident Peter Reeves said there is no success under a police system that began as slave patrols. Indiana State Department of Health reported 371 new positive cases of COVID-19 on June 30th. Eight new deaths were reported from June 14th to June 30th. This comes after 5,555 new tests were issued from May 13th to June 30th. That brings the total number of positive cases to 45,952 people, with 2,456 deaths. Almost 490,000 total tests have been issued, with 9.4% of all tests coming back positive. 51% of ICU beds are in use due to non-COVID-related illnesses. 9.5% of ICU beds in the state are in use due to COVID-19. 39.4% of ICU beds are available in Indiana. 14% of ventilators are in use to non-COVID-19 patients. 3.5% of ventilators are being used to treat COVID-19 patients. 82.5% of ventilators are available, according to the State Department of Health. The Bloomington Redevelopment Commission discussed a preliminary design for the housing project located on South Walnut Street, known to be the former Night Moves location. Petitioner Jeff Ryan of Real America said the development would be called Retreat at the Switchyard. He said the design is inspired by Switchyard Park architecture. And we were down there and saw some of the architectural style that's going in and the colors. And we thought, you know, that could be cool to play off of because that's some, you know, good looking designs that they're putting in on that. So that was the starting point for us. And so you see on here with this, uh, was this butterfly. butterfly roof on here and the materials of it. So with our design, again, this is where the ground floor is with the parking within the apartments above. So we're playing off of that with a butterfly roof on here and using some of the same materials and colors that are in there. 
Ryan said retail and parking would be located on the ground floor of the building in apartments above. He said the development would include 64 apartment units, 50 of which are affordable living. He said up to 25% of the apartment units would be reserved for Stone Belt clients. Commissioner Nick Kappas said the building is too simple. I mean, I just spent four years on the plan commission. I can tell you wholeheartedly that it's one of those things where um, even the plan commission is getting tired of the four over one, um, even though we understand they would understand the uh, constraints of the site. They'll understand, you know, how much is going to affordable housing. However, uh, they're going to ask for modulation, more modulation, because it looks like it's just a long, flat building. They don't want to see that. Um, they're going to want to see uh, more architectural appeal, considering it's the entrance into our brand new park. They want to make sure that that's something that's of community appeal in addition to livable. Commissioner Don Griffin said using natural stone would be more favorable than concrete. Ryan said for the final design, Real America will partner with a local architect. He said construction is projected to begin in July 2021, and leasing would begin in October of 2022. Last week, citizens living near the Mississippi Gulf Coast, such as Texas, Florida, and Louisiana, were recommended to wear face coverings, not just for COVID-19, but also to protect themselves from the dense dust plumes that came in Thursday. Nicknamed the Gorilla Dust Cloud, the storm came in from the northwest, originally from the Saharan Desert. The storm swept over San Juanas as well, creating massive sandstorms in Isla Verde Beach in Puerto Rico. Environmental health specialists with the University of Puerto Rico stated that in terms of climate events, quote, this is the most significant event in the past 50 years, end quote. The last of the dust was expected to hit southern Indiana on Saturday, and gradually dissipate Sunday and Monday. Reports estimated a thicker concentration in southern Indiana that would travel to Indianapolis by Saturday. Meteorologist in Indianapolis, Michael Cook, said this was his first time dealing with these climate events. However, he explained that the behavior of the accumulation being carried by winds over the Atlantic Ocean is typical. Dust comes from the Sahara every year. However, the amount of dust this time is greater than it has been in decades. The concerns from this storm were mainly the effects on air quality, and as a result, a rise in people getting sick or more sick from respiratory issues caused by the dust. The main precautions were directed towards children, older adults, and people dealing with heart disease, lung disease, allergies, or asthma. The COVID-19 virus was another reason for concern. The state of Texas was already seeing a rise in COVID-19 cases, when the news came of the dust storm to arrive in the area. Scientists and observers listed a couple positive side effects from these plumes, such as the colors in the sky and the suppression of hurricanes. Meteorologist Michael Cook explained that the sunsets may be miraculous from the enhanced sunlight scattered by dust in the atmosphere. With more dust present, more particles are in the sky for the light to retract off of, presenting brighter shades of red, orange, yellow, and pink. Scientists also stated that the dust plumes may temporarily stop hurricanes during this month due to the dry desert air sweeping across the Atlantic Ocean. Up next, WFHB Assistant News Director Sydney Foreman delivers three local headlines. 
A $30,000 grant from Early Learning Indiana was presented to the Brown County Schools Preschool Program. The grant was part of a $15 million Come Back Stronger Fund sponsored by the Lilly Endowment. The fund was aimed to support the most vulnerable children in early learning opportunities. According to a press release, Brown County Schools had to submit a letter on how the funds would support their vulnerable children's educational systems. The funds will support the operating of additional classroom space to optimize social distancing, implementing the most current safety practices, being responsive to new recommendations as circumstances evolve and change throughout the school year, addressing the social and emotional needs of children by pursuing specific training for preschool staff, deep cleaning of spaces including equipment and toys on a regular basis, purchasing personal protective equipment, and purchasing items commonly shared among students such as writing instruments and other supplies. In the release, Brown County Schools Director of Student Learning and Services, Deborah Harmon, said, quote, Our early learners were thriving in our classrooms prior to the pandemic. Our reopening with the return to school and continued program expansion are dependent on our commitment to offering families a high-quality early education experience in safe and engaging environment, end quote. Yesterday, June 30th, the Bloomington Switchyard Park spray pad opened. The pad includes a system of approximately 90 nozzles and misters which spray out water for visitors to enjoy. The water is treated through a chlorinated system. A maximum of 50 visitors will be allowed on the pad at any given time to follow social distancing practices. Surrounding all gender restrooms and changing rooms also opened on June 30th. There are no fees to use the switchyard spray pad, however visitors may experience a wait to use the facilities. Starting today, July 1st, Indiana has implemented a hands-free law. A bill was signed in March making it illegal to hold your phone while operating a car. This includes phone usage at a red light. However, a driver can use their phone through Bluetooth, voice control, or other hand-free methods such as stands. According to Indiana State Police, the law was passed to reduce distracted driving. In 2019, distracted driving caused more than 10,400 crashes. Approximately 2,000 of the crashes caused injury and 19 ended fatal. Breaking the law is labeled as a Class C infraction. Drivers found in violation of the law could receive up to a $500 fine. However, points will not be added against your license until July 1, 2021. State law says license suspension occurs when a driver reaches 20 points. Now it's time for your feature reports. Up first, WFHB News Director Cade Young talked to Jonah Crismore, Executive Director at the Busker Chumley Theater, and Jared Thompson, owner of the Comedy Attic. They discuss how COVID-19 has impacted their local businesses, increased safety protocols, and reopening efforts. On Saturday, July 4th, Indiana was expected to move into Stage 5 of Governor Holcomb's Back on Track plan. In an announcement on Wednesday, the governor said that Indiana will not be moving into Stage 5 in accordance with a new executive order. With the new announcement, the governor said the state will move into a, quote, cautious Stage 4.5, end quote. As of 4.10 p.m., the Monroe County Health Department hasn't made an announcement of what its protocols will be on Saturday. I talked to two local businesses about how they feel about reopening efforts. With no live performances, 
COVID-19 has impacted entertainment venues, especially in Bloomington. In today's feature report, you will hear from the executive director of the Buzzkirk Chumley and the owner of the Comedy Attic about how COVID-19 has impacted their local businesses and their hopes for the future. First off, I talked to Jonah Crismore, executive director of the Buzzkirk Chumley. He gave me some insight about how COVID-19 impacted the Buzzkirk Chumley and how they're trying to safely start to reopen again at limited capacity. Starting July 10th, the Buzzkirk Chumley will be host to a screening of Back to the Future. Only 100 people are allowed to attend. Here's my interview with Jonah Crismore. I wore a mask and used a shotgun microphone to ensure social distancing during the interview. So the first question I have for you is how has COVID-19 impacted your local business? <laughs> well, I mean, we were to the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater, so kind of the whole point of what we do here is for people to gather. So we really have not had any activity since we were forced to um, shut down in mid-March. You know, other than a virtual event um, and a few other things here and there, there just hasn't been any activity here at the Buskirk Chumley. So as of right now, employees, you know, are working um, in a more staggered schedule, a reduced schedule. Um, we have employees that have masks on, we have hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, because uh, it's an old building, so we don't have a ton of office space. So we're trying to keep people spread out throughout the building. Luckily, it's a large building, so we can kind of sometimes have people stationed at various other parts to get work done and things like that. Or if they just feel more safe working from home, they don't need to be in the building for any reason. We're encouraging employees to stay home. So July 10th, we're starting a film series. It's called our Summer Breeze Film Series, and it's going to be a com- reduced capacity. So we're only going to have... You know, we're only going to be opening up to 100 patrons, even though our theater seats over 600. Um, we are going to um, be asking for people to purchase their tickets in advance, you know, so just trying to reduce the amount of touching. And then we're also creating kind of a, a walkthrough um, uh, way in which so that um, uh, patrons don't crowd anywhere. And we're asking all patrons to wear masks to these screenings as well. First come, first serve. Um, it is going to be general admission. We're going to have ushers that are going to be able to help seat people so that everybody's socially distanced in the theater as well. And we're not going to have concessions available just because right now we're just trying to see how people react to being in the building, what their concerns are, so we can listen to them, implement any changes that need to be, and then start rolling in new variables like concessions and things like that as we as we go on. Um, you know, we've been in, we have a great relationship with our health department here in Monroe County. We haven't heard anything. I mean, we don't get, you know, information before anybody else or anything like that, you know, but I would not be surprised if we open more, but it's still reduced. So maybe we're going to cap it right now at 250 people for gatherings like we do here, or maybe at half capacity. I could see some of those being, um, a realistic, um, development, um, just considering the fact that, you know, while Indiana's been really lucky in that we're holding steady, we haven't seen those big declines, um, you know, that um, I think would be necessary to um, to make that move for a fully reopening. Okay, so the future holds is, you know, we're going to be, we're going to still be here. We're going to be still strong. You know, things are going to be different for sure. Um, but we're going to be, you know, we're, like July 24th, we're having a virtual benefit concert. So we're having a fundraiser that's going to be, you can, you can buy tickets through our website. And um, it's carrying newcomers, so local artists. Um, and, for, you know, from that's a great way to support. And as well as, you know, she's going to be performing on our stage. She's just going to be performing on our stage with no audience. We want all the audience to stay home and, um, and you know, just enjoy it from the safety and security of, you know, their couch. 
Then I talked to Jared Thompson, owner of The Comedy Attic. We spoke over the phone for about 20 minutes. We talked about reopening The Comedy Attic after closing its doors for 100 days. Thompson was more cynical about reopening. Tickets at The Comedy Attic must be purchased in advance, not at the door. Masks are required at all times without any exceptions. In his opinion, businesses should not be reopening without requiring a mask. Here is an excerpt from the interview. How has COVID-19 impacted your local business? Well, where do I start? Um, I mean, you know, we, as, as did the majority of everybody, especially entertainment, we just completely stopped on, you know, as soon as we found out that it was as bad as it could be. And we were closed for a hundred days. So, I mean, it's, it's been terrible in every way possible. I hear that. I mean, there's nothing good about it that I can think of. And then all of a sudden you got the green light and then you were able to reopen on June 24th. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we honestly, as I said in the press release, when we reopened, like we don't really believe that anything should be back open. I mean, it definitely is my opinion and really anyone else that has anything to do with the club that like, it's crazy that anything is open. And so we had no choice. Like we had no other way to really combat this than just trying to do it as safely as we can. And I mean, it's totally insane that anything is open. I mean, it's just like people just decided for everyone that it was safe when it's not. Like nobody that has, nobody that has any idea what they're talking about thinks that it's safe to be doing anything. And yet here we are because the way that America is set up, it's just set up to like, everyone needs to make money as quickly as possible. And that's the way it is. And so we're sort of stuck having to, having to cope with trying to reopen when we really shouldn't be. And you were talking about safety protocols. So what safety protocols have you put in place since you've reopened? Well, I mean, we were, to my knowledge, the only business well, first of all, we're the only co- comedy club in the country that's requiring everyone to wear masks, which is just, again, just insane that people are, are just sort of free-balling it out there. And it's a great example of why the numbers are terrible, because people are just doing whatever they want with, without being checked about it. Um, so we're requiring everyone to wear masks throughout the whole show. And if they're drinking or eating something, they have to leave the mask, you know, underneath their mouth so that in case they have to cough or sneeze, they can still get it back over their mouth mm-hmm. um, and, and their nose. You have to have a mask that covers both your mouth and your nose. And you'd be surprised at how many people try to sit there with it not c- covering their nose. But we have to tell people to move it up and, um, we distance all the tables. Like we've made sure that no parties that, that aren't comfortable with each other, meaning that they came to, together um, or our friends or family, those tables are all distanced at least six feet. We've, we're staying at 50% capacity no, no matter what happens. Like even if, like what I mean by that is, is that we could be at 75%, but we're not going to do that because there's no way for us to continue to distance all the parties and have 75% of our allowed people in 
you know, you'd have to sit strangers with strangers and we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we set up um, sanitizer stations. I think there's three of them inside the club. And if you've ever been into the comedy attic, it's not a very big space. So three is a pretty good amount to have. Mm-hmm. Um, we've added touchless soap in the bathroom and the, and the sanitizer station. Uh, oh, we're taking t- temperature checks when you walk in. There's, you, you have to buy tickets ahead of time. Like we're not taking any money or cards at the door. Um, you're required to buy your tickets ahead of time so that there's no, so you don't spend a lot of time face to face with the door person. Um, we've got the, if you do have to wait to get into the club, like if there's a line, we have um, de- designated stairs that you can wait on. Um, and of course it can go outside as well. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we've had four shows. Uh, we, we opened last Wednesday. And uh, again, under the circumstances of the uh, understanding that nothing should be open, I guess it went about as well as it could have. Um, the employees uh, were happy to be back at work. And of course, the crowds are really good because nobody's seen live comedy in a long time. Yeah. Um, so... You know, we are sort of intentionally, I mean, I could very easily get more people to show up if I, if I said, you don't have to wear a mask. Like, we've gotten enough emails from customers that say, you know, what type of liberal snowflake are you to make us wear a mask, like, you know, whatever. And it's like, we know we could get more people to come if we didn't allow masks, but it's just, to me, the idea that we would just put everyone's health in jeopardy is just, uh, there's no way that we would do that. Um, So, I mean, we're kind of caught in both worlds where we've got people that don't want to come because they don't want to wear a mask. And then you have just as many people that don't want to come because they're scared. And I certainly side way closer to the people that are too scared to come. Like that's kind of why we have probably gone overboard I don't know this for sure because I know the Buzzkirk, I believe, is requiring masks. At least I saw a post of theirs that said when they have the movies, they're requiring masks. So if and when they reopen and they require masks, to my knowledge, that's the only other business in this town that's requiring masks, which I believe is a mistake. Um, I believe that every single place should require a mask to be worn at all times, no matter what. It should be mandatory throughout the whole city, and I'm completely cannot believe that that's not true i just assumed that that's what everyone was doing and then you know i'll drive past like a restaurant and you can see people in there not even eating but just sitting in the window with no mask on it's like we're gonna see the numbers go back up and then very likely we'll have to close everything back down again you've been listening to the wfhb local news Today's headlines were written by Katrine Bruner, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Our theme music was provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at wfhb.org you too can be a part of our award-winning news team for more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists email news at wfhb.org stay tuned for cool solutions 
coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer 